Section 25 of The Golden Fleece and the Heroes Who Lived Before Achilles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alana Aslan. The Golden Fleece and the Heroes Who Lived Before Achilles by Parak Kolum. Part Three The Heroes of the Quest. Chapter Four The Life and Labors of Heracles. Heracles was the son of Zeus, but he was born into the family of a mortal king. When he was still a youth, being overwhelmed by a madness sent upon him by one of the goddesses, he slew the children of his brother Iphicles. Then, Coming to know what he had done, sleep and rest went from him. He went to Delphi, to the shrine of Apollo, to be purified of his crime. At Delphi, at the shrine of Apollo, the priestess purified him, and when she had purified him, she uttered this prophecy. From this day forth thy name shall be not Alcides, but Heracles. Thou shalt go to Eurystheus thy cousin, in Mycenae, and serve him in all things, when the labours he shall lay upon thee are accomplished, and when the rest of thy life is lived out, thou shalt become one of the immortals. Heracles, on hearing these words, set out for Mycenae. He stood before his cousin who hated him. He, a towering man, stood before a king who sat there weak and trembling. And Heracles said, I have come to take up the labours that you will lay upon me. Speak now, Eurystheus, and tell me what you would have me do. Eurystheus, that weak king, looking on the young man who stood as tall and as firm as one of the immortals, had a heart that was filled with hatred. He lifted up his head and he said with a frown, There is a lion in Nemea that is stronger and more fierce than any lion known before. Kill that lion, and bring the lion's skin to me, that I may know that you have truly performed your task. So Eurystheus said, and Heracles, with neither shield nor arms, went forth from the king's palace to seek and to combat the dread lion of Nemea. He went on until he came into a country where the fences were overthrown and the fields wasted on the houses, empty and fallen. He went on until he came to the waste around that land. There he came on the trail of the lion. It led up to the side of a mountain, and Heracles, without shield or arms, followed the trail. He heard the roar of a lion. Looking up, he saw the beast standing at the mouth of a cavern, huge and dark against the sunset. The lion roared three times, and then it went within the cavern. Around the mouth were strewn the bones of creatures it had killed and carried there. Heracles looked upon them when he came to the cavern. He went within. Far into the cavern he went, and then he came to where he saw the lion. It was sleeping. Heracles viewed the terrible bulk of the lion, and then he looked upon his own knotted hands and arms. He remembered that it was told of him that, while still a child of eight months, he had strangled a great serpent that had come to his cradle to devour him. He had grown, and his strength had grown too. So he stood, 
measuring his strength and the size of the lion. The breath from its mouth and nostrils came heavily to him as the beast slept, gorged with its prey. Then the lion yawned. Heracles sprang on it and put his great hands upon its throat. No growl came out of its mouth, but the great eyes blazed while the terrible paws tore at Heracles. Against the rock Heracles held the beast. Strongly he held it, choking it through the skin that was almost impenetrable. Terribly the lion struggled, but the strong hands of the hero held around its throat until it struggled no more. Then Heracles stripped off that impenetrable skin from the lion's body. He put it on himself for a cloak. Then, as he went through the forest, he pulled up a young oak tree and trimmed it and made a club for himself. With the lion's skin over him, that skin that no spear or arrow could pierce, and carrying the club in his hand, he journeyed on until he came to the palace of King Eurystheus. The king, seeing coming toward him a towering man all covered with a hide of a monstrous lion, ran and hid himself in a great jar. He lifted up the lid to ask the servants what was the meaning of this terrible appearance, and the servants told him that it was Heracles come back with the skin of the lion of Nemea. On hearing this, Eurystheus hid himself again. He would not speak with Heracles nor have him come near him, so fearful was he. But Heracles was content to be left alone. He sat down in the palace and feasted himself. The servants came to the king. Eurystheus lifted the lid of the jar, and they told him how Heracles was feasting and devouring all the goods in the palace. The king flew into a rage, but still he was fearful of having the hero before him. He issued commands through his heralds, ordering Heracles to go forth at once and perform the second of his tasks. It was to slay the great water-snake that made its lair in the swamps of Lerna. Heracles stayed to feast another day, and then, with the lion's skin across his shoulders and the great club in his hands, he started off. But this time he did not go alone. The boy Iolaus went with him. Heracles and Iolaus went on until they came to the vast swamp of Lerna. Right in the middle of the swamp was the water snake that was called the Hydra. Nine heads it had, and it raised them up out of the water as the hero and his companion came near. They could not cross the swamp to come to the monster, for man or beast would sink and be lost in it. The Hydra remained in the middle of the swamp, belching mud at the hero and his companion. Then Heracles took up his bow, and he shot flaming arrows at its head. It grew into such a rage that it came through the swamp to attack him. Heracles swung his club. As the Hydra came near, he knocked head after head off its body. But for every head knocked off, two grew upon the Hydra. And as he struggled with the monster, a huge crab came out of the swamp, and gripping Heracles by the foot, tried to draw him in. Then Heracles cried out. The boy Iolaus came. He killed the crab that had come to the Hydra's aid. Then Heracles laid hands upon the Hydra and drew it out of the swamp. With his club he knocked off a head, and he had Iolaus put fire to where it had been, so that two heads might not grow in that place. 
the life of the hydra was in its middle head. That head he had not been able to knock off with his club. Now, with his hands, he tore it off, and he placed this head under a great stone, so that it could not rise into life again. The hydra's life was now destroyed. Heracles dipped his arrows into the gall of the monster, making his arrows deadly. No thing that was struck by these arrows afterward could keep its life. Again he came to Eurystheus's palace, and Eurystheus, seeing him, ran again and hid himself in the jar. Heracles ordered the servants to tell the king that he had returned, and that the second labor was accomplished. Eurystheus, hearing from the servants that Heracles was mild in his ways, came out of the jar. Insolently he spoke. Twelve labors you have to accomplish for me, said he to Heracles, and eleven yet remain to be accomplished. How? said Heracles. Have I not performed two of the labors? Have I not slain the lion of Nemea and the great water snake of Lerna? In the killing of the water snake you were helped by Iolaus, said the king, snapping out his sword and looking at Heracles with shifting eyes. That labor cannot be allowed. Heracles would have him struck to the ground, but then he remembered that the crime that he had committed in his madness would have to be expiated by labors performed at the order of this man. He looked full upon Eurystheus, and he said, Tell me of the other labors, and I will go forth from Mycenae and accomplish them. Then Eurystheus bade him go, and made clean the stables of King Augeas. Heracles came into that king's country. The smell from the stables was felt from miles around. Countless herds of cattle and goats had been in the stables for years, and because of the uncleanliness and the smell that came from it, the crops were withered all around. Heracles told the king that he would clean the stables if he were given one-tenth of the cattle and the goats for a reward. The king agreed to this reward. Then Heracles drove the cattle and the goats out of the stables. He broke through the foundations, and he made channels for the two rivers, Alpheus and Peneus. The waters flowed through the stables, and in a day all the uncleanliness was washed away. Then Heracles turned the rivers back into their own courses. He was not given the reward he had bargained for, however. He went back to Mycenae, with a tale of how he had cleaned the stables. Ten labors remain for me to do now, he said. Eleven, said Eurystheus. How can I allow the cleaning of King Augeas's stables to you when you bargained for a reward for doing it? Then, while Heracles stood still, holding himself back from striking him, Eurystheus ran away and hid himself in the jar. Through his heralds, he sent word to Heracles, telling him what the other labors would be. He was to clear the marshes of Stymphalus, of the man-eating birds that gathered there. He was to capture and bring to the king the golden-horned deer of Coronea. He was also to capture and bring alive to Mycenae the boar of Erymanthus. Heracles came to the marshes of Stymphalus. The growth of jungle was so dense that he could not cut his way through to where the man-eating birds were. 
they sat upon low bushes within the jungle, gorging themselves upon the flesh they had carried there. For days Heracles tried to hack his way through. He could not get to where the birds were. Then, thinking he might not be able to accomplish this labor, he sat upon the ground in despair. It was then that one of the immortals appeared to him. For the first and only time he was given help from the gods. It was Athena who came to him. She stood apart from Heracles, holding in her hands brazen symbols. These she clashed together. At the sound of this clashing, the Stymphalian birds rose up from the low bushes behind the jungle. Heracles shot at them with those unerring arrows of his. The man-eating birds fell, one after the other, into the marsh. Then Heracles went north to where the Coronian deer took her pasture. So swift of foot was she that no hound nor hunter had ever been able to overtake her. For the whole of a year Heracles kept golden horns in chase, and at last, on the side of the mountain Artemision, he caught her. Artemis, the goddess of the wild things, would have punished Heracles for capturing the deer, but the hero pleaded with her, and she relented and agreed to let him bring the deer to Mycenae and show her to King Eurystheus. And Artemis took charge of golden horns while Heracles went off to capture the Erymanthian boar. He came to the city of Sophis, the inhabitants of which were in deadly fear because of the ravages of the boar. Heracles made his way up the mountain to hunt it. Now on this mountain a band of centaurs lived, and they, knowing him since the time he had been fostered by Chiron, welcomed Heracles. One of them, Pholus, took Heracles to the great house where the centaurs had their wine stored, Seldom did the centaurs drink wine, a draught of it made them wild, and so they stored it away, leaving it in the charge of one of their band. Heracles begged Pholus to give him a draught of wine. After he had begged again and again, the centaur opened one of his great jars. Heracles drank wine and spilled it. Then the centaurs that were without smelled the wine and came hammering at the door, demanding the draughts that would make them wild. Heracles came forth to drive them away. They attacked him. Then he shot at them with his unerring arrows, and he drove them away. Up the mountain and away to far rivers the centaurs raced, pursued by Heracles with his bow. One was slain, Pholus, the centaur who had entertained him. By accident, Heracles dropped a poisoned arrow on his foot. He took the body of Pholus up to the top of the mountain and buried the centaur there. Afterwards, on the snows of Erymanthus, he set a snare for the boar and caught him there. Upon his shoulders, he carried the boar to Mycenae, and he led the deer by her golden horns. When Aristheus bad looked upon them, the boar was slain, but the deer was loose, and she fled back to the mountain Artemisian. King Eurystheus sat hidden in the great jar, and he thought of more terrible labors he would make Heracles engage in. Now he would send him over sea and make him strive with fierce tribes and more dread monsters. When he had it all thought out, 
he had Heracles brought before him, and he told him of these other labors. He was to go to savage Thrace, and there destroy the man-eating horses of King Diomedes. Afterward, he was to go amongst the dread women, the Amazons, daughters of Ares, the god of war, and take them for their queen, Hippolyte, the girdle that Ares had given her. Then he was to go to Crete, and take from the keeping of King Minos the beautiful bull that Poseidon had given him. Afterward, he was to go to the island of Erythia, and take away from Geryonius the monster that had three bodies instead of one, the herd of red cattle that the two-headed hound Orthus kept guard over. Then he was to go to the garden of the Hesperides, and from that garden he was to take the golden apples that Zeus had given to Hera for a marriage gift, where the garden of the Hesperides was no mortal new. So Heracles set out on a long and perilous quest. First he went to Thrace, that savage land that was ruled over by Diomedes, son of Ares, the war-god. Heracles broke into the stable, where the horses were. He caught three of them by their heads, and although they kicked and bit and trampled, he forced them out of the stable and down to the seashore, where his companion, Abderus, waited for him. The screams of the fierce horses were heard by the men of Thrace, and they, with their king, came after Heracles. He left the horses in charge of Abderus, while he fought the Thracians and their savage king. Heracles shot his deadly arrows amongst them, and then he fought with their king. He drove them from the seashore, and then he came back to where he had left Abderus with the fierce horses. They had thrown Abderus upon the ground, and they were trampling upon him. Heracles drew his bow, and he shot the horses with the unerring arrows that were dipped with the gall of the hydra he had slain. Screaming, the horses of King Diomedes raced toward the sea, but one fell, and another fell, and then, as it came to the line of the foam, the third of the fierce horses fell. They were all slain with the unerring arrows. Then Heracles took up the body of his companion, and he buried it with proper rites, and over it he raised a column. Afterward, around that column, a city that bore the name of Heracles' friend was built. Then toward the Euxine Sea he went. There, where the river Themyscira flows into the sea, he saw the abodes of the Amazons, and upon the rocks and the steep place he saw the warrior women standing with drawn bows in their hands. Most dangerous did they seem to Heracles. He did not know how to approach them. He might shoot at them with his unerring arrows, but when his arrows were all shot away, the Amazons from their steep places might be able to kill him with the arrows from their bows. While he stood at a distance wondering what he might do, a horn was sounded, and an Amazon mounted upon a white stallion rode toward him. When the warrior woman came near, she cried out, Heracles, the queen Hippolyte permits you to come amongst the Amazons, enter her tent, and declare to the queen what has brought you amongst the never-conquered Amazons. Heracles came to the tent of the queen. There stood tall Hippolyte, with an iron crown upon her head, 
and with a beautiful girdle of bronze and iridescent glass around her waist. Proud and fierce as a mountain eagle looked the queen of the Amazons. Heracles did not know in what way he might conquer her. Outside the tent the Amazons stood. They struck their shields with their spears, keeping up a continuous savage din. For what has Heracles come to the country of the Amazons? Queen Hippolyte asked. For the girdle you wear, said Heracles, and he held his hands ready for the struggle. Is it for the girdle given me by Ares, the god of war, that you have come braving the Amazons, Heracles? asked the queen. For that, said Heracles. I would not have you enter into strife with the Amazons, said Queen Hippolyte. And so saying, she drew off the girdle of bronze and iridescent glass, and she gave it into his hands. Heracles took the beautiful girdle into his hands. Fearful he was that some piece of guile was being played upon him, but then he looked into the open eyes of the queen, and he saw that she meant no guile. He took the girdle and he put it around his great brows. Then he thanked Hippolyte, and he went from the tent. He saw the Amazons standing on the rocks in the steep places with bows bent. Unchallenged he went, and he came to his ship, and he sailed away from that country with one more labor accomplished. The labor that followed was not dangerous. He sailed over sea and he came to Crete, to the land that King Minos ruled over, and there he found grazing in a special pasture the bull that Poseidon had given King Minos. He laid his hands upon the bull's horns, and he struggled with him, and he overthrew him. Then he drove the bull down to the seashore. His next labor was to take away the herd of red cattle that was owned by the monster Geryoneus. In the island of Erythea, in the middle of the stream of ocean, lived the monster, his herd guarded by the two-headed hound Orthus. That hound was the brother of Cerberus, the three-headed hound that kept guard in the underworld. Mounted upon the bull given Minos by Poseidon, Heracles fared across the sea. He came even to the straits that divided Europe from Africa, and there he set up two pillars as a memorial of his journey, the pillars of Heracles that stand to this day. He and the bull rested there, Beyond him stretched the stream of ocean. The island of Erythea was there, but Heracles thought that the bull would not be able to bear him so far. And there the sun beat upon him and drew all strength away from him, and he was dazed and dazzled by the rays of the sun. He shouted out against the sun, and in his anger he wanted to strive against the sun. Then he drew his bow and shot arrows upward. Far, far out of sight the arrows of Heracles went. And the sun-god Helios was filled with admiration for Heracles, the man who would attempt the impossible by shooting arrows at him. Then did Helios fling down to Heracles his great golden cup. Down and into the stream of ocean fell the great golden cup of Helios. It floated there wide enough to hold all the men who might be in a ship. Heracles put the bull of Minos into the cup of Helios, and the cup bore them away, toward the west and across the stream of ocean. 
Thus Heracles came to the island of Erythea. All over this island straggled the red cattle of Geryoneus, grazing upon the rich pastures. Heracles, leaving the bull of Minos in the cup, went upon the island. He made a club for himself out of a tree, and he went toward the cattle. The hound Orthus bayed and ran toward him. The two-headed hound that was the brother of Cerberus sprang at Heracles with poisonous foam upon his jaws. Heracles swung his club and struck the two heads off the hound. And where the foam of the hound's jaws dropped down, a poisonous plant sprang up. Heracles took up the body of the hound and swung it around and flung it far out into the ocean. Then the monster, Geryoneus, came upon him. Three bodies he had instead of one. He attacked Heracles by hurling great stones at him. Heracles was hurt by the stones, and then the monster beheld the cup of Helios, and he began to hurl stones at the golden thing, and it seemed that he might sink it in the sea and leave Heracles without a way of getting from the island. Heracles took up his bow, and he shot arrow after arrow at the monster, and he left him dead in the deep grass of the pastures. Then he rounded up the red cattle, the bulls and the cows, and he drove them down to the shore and into the golden cup of Helios, where the bull of Minos stayed. Then back across the stream of ocean the cup floated, and the bull of Crete and the cattle of Geryoneus were brought past Sicily and through the straits called Hellespont. To Thrace, that savage land, they came. Then Heracles took the cattle out, and the cup of Helios sank in the sea. Through the wild lands of Thrace he drove the herd of Geryoneus and the bull of Minos, and he came into Mycenae once more. But he did not stay to speak with Eurystheus. He started off to find the garden of the Hesperides, the daughters of the evening land. Long did he search, but he found no one who could tell him where the garden was. And at last he went to Chiron on the mountain Pelion, and Chiron told Heracles what journey he would have to make to come to the Hesperides, the daughters of the evening land. Far did Heracles journey, weary he was when he came to where Atlas stood, bearing the sky upon his weary shoulders. As he came near, he felt an undreamt-of perfume being wafted toward him. So weary was he with his journey and all his toils that he would fain sink down and dream away in that evening land. But he roused himself, and he journeyed on toward where the perfume came from. Over that place a star seemed always about to rise. He came to where a silver lattice fenced a garden that was full of the quiet evening. Golden bees hummed through the air, and there was the sound of quiet waters. How wild and laborious was the world he had come from, Heracles thought. He felt that it would be hard for him to return to that world. He saw three maidens. They stood with wreaths upon their heads and blossoming branches in their hands. When the maidens saw him, they came toward him, crying out, O oh, man who has come into the garden of the Hesperides, go not near the tree that the sleepless dragon guards. Then they went and stood by a tree as if to keep guard over it. 
All around were trees that bore flowers and fruit, but this tree had golden apples amongst its bright green leaves. Then he saw the guardian of the tree. Beside its trunk a dragon lay, and as Heracles came near, the dragon showed its glittering scales and its deadly claws. The apples were within reach, but the dragon, with its glittering scales and claws, stood in the way. Heracles shot an arrow, then a tremor went through, laid on the sleepless dragon. It screamed and then lay stark. The maidens cried in their grief. Heracles went to the tree and he plucked the golden apples, and he put them into the pouch he carried. Down on the ground sank the Hesperides, the daughters of the evening land, and he heard their laments as he went from the enchanted garden they had guarded. Back from the ends of the earth came Heracles, back from the place where Atlas stood holding the sky upon his weary shoulders. He went back through Asia and Libya and Egypt, and he came again to Mycenae and to the palace of Eurystheus. He brought to the king the herd of Geryoneus, he brought to the king the bull of Minos, he brought to the king the girdle of Hippolyte, he brought to the king the golden apples of the Hesperides. And King Eurystheus, with his thin face, sat upon his royal throne, and he looked over all the wonderful things that the hero had brought him. Not pleased was Eurystheus, rather was he angry that one he hated could win such wonderful things. He took into his hands the golden apples of the Hesperides, but this fruit was not for such as he. An eagle snatched the branch from his hand, and the eagle flew and flew until it came to where the daughters of the evening land wept in their garden. There the eagle let fall the branch with the golden apples, and the maidens set it back upon the tree, and behold, it grew as it had been growing before Heracles plucked it. The next day the heralds of Eurystheus came to Heracles, and they told him of the last labor that he would have to set out to accomplish. This time he would have to go down into the underworld, and bring up from King Idoneus's realm Cerberus, the three-headed hound. Heracles put upon him the impenetrable lion's skin and set forth once more. This might indeed be the last of his life's labors. Cerberus was not an earthly monster, and he would struggle with Cerberus in the underworld, and he who would struggle with Cerberus in the underworld would have the gods of the dead against him. But Heracles went on. He journeyed to the cave Tynaron, which was an entrance to the underworld. Far into that dismal cave he went, and then down, down until he came to Acheron, that dim river that has beyond it only the people of the dead. Cerberus bayed at him from the place where the dead cross the river. Knowing that he was no shade, the hound sprang at Heracles, and he could neither bite nor tear through the impenetrable lion's skin. Heracles held him by the neck of his middle head, so that Cerberus was neither able to bite nor tear nor bellow. Then to the brink of Acheron came Persephone, queen of the underworld. She declared to Heracles that the gods of the dead would not strive against him if he promised to bring Cerberus back to the underworld, carrying the hound downward again as he carried him upward. 
This Heracles promised. He turned around and he carried Cerberus, his hands around the monster's neck, while foam dripped from his jaws. He carried him on and upward toward the world of men. Out through a cave that was in the land of treason, Heracles came, still carrying Cerberus by the neck of his middle head. From treason to Mycenae, the hero went and men fled before him at the sight of the monster that he carried. On he went toward the king's palace. Eurystheus was seated outside his palace that day, looking at the great jar that he had often hid in, and thinking to himself that Heracles would never appear to affright him again. Then Heracles appeared. He called to Eurystheus, and when the king looked up, he held the hound toward him. The three heads grinned at Eurystheus. He gave a cry and scrambled into the jar. Before his feet touched the bottom of it, Eurystheus was dead of fear. The jar rolled over, and Heracles looked upon the body that was all twisted with fright. Then he turned around and made his way back to the underworld. On the brink of Acheron he loosed Cerberus, and the bellow of the three-headed hound was heard again. 2. It was then that Heracles was given arms by the gods, the sword of Hermes, the bow of Apollo, the shield made by Hephaestus. It was then that Heracles joined the Argonauts and journeyed with them to the edge of the Caucasus, where, slaying the vulture that preyed upon Prometheus's liver, he, at the will of Zeus, liberated the Titan. Thereafter, Zeus and Prometheus were reconciled, and Zeus, that neither might forget how much the enmity between them had cost gods and men, had a ring made for Prometheus to wear. That ring was made out of the fetter that had been upon him, and in it was set a fragment of the rock that the Titan had been bound to. The Argonauts had now won back to Greece, but before he saw any of them, he had been in Oikalia and had seen the maiden Aeoli. The king of Oikalia had offered his daughter Aeoli in marriage to the hero who could excel himself and his sons in shooting with arrows. Heracles saw Aeoli, the blue-eyed and childlike maiden, and he longed to take her with him to some place near the garden of the Hesperides. And Aeoli looked on him, and he knew that she wondered to see him so tall and so strongly knit, even as he wondered to see her so childlike and delicate. Then the contest began. The king and his sons shot wonderfully well, and none of the heroes who stood before Heracles had a chance of winning. Then Heracles shot his arrows. No matter how far away they moved the mark, Heracles struck it, and struck the very center of it. The people wondered who this great archer might be, and then a name was guessed at and went around, Heracles. When the king heard the name of Heracles, he would not let him strive in the contest any more, for the maiden Aeoli would not be given as a prize to one who had been mad, and whose madness might afflict him again. So the king said, speaking in judgment in the marketplace. 
Rage came on Heracles when he heard this judgment given. He would not let his rage master him, lest the madness that was spoken of should come with the rage. So he left the city of Icalia, declaring to the king and the people that he would return. It was then that, wandering down to Crete, he heard of the Argonauts being near. And afterward he heard of them being in Calydon, hunting the boar that ravaged Anius's country. To Calydon Heracles went. The heroes had departed when he came into the country, and all this city was in grief for the deaths of Prince Meligrus and his two uncles. On the steps of the temple where Meligrus and his uncles had been brought, Heracles saw Dianyra, Meligrus's sister. She was pale with her grief, this tall woman of the mountains. She looked like a priestess, but also like a woman who could cheer camps of men with her counsel, her bravery, and her good companionship. Her hair was very dark, and she had dark eyes. Straight away she became friends with Heracles, and when they saw each other for a while, they loved each other. And Heracles forgot Aeoli, the childlike maiden whom he had seen in Oikalia. He made himself a suitor for Dianyra, and those who protected her were glad of Heracles's suit, and they told him they would give him the maiden to marry as soon as the mourning for Prince Meligrus and his uncles was over. Heracles stayed in Calydon, happy with Dianyra, who had so much beauty, wisdom, and bravery. But then a dreadful thing happened in Calydon. By an accident, while using his strength unthinkingly, Heracles killed a lad who was related to Dianyra. He might not marry her now until he had taken punishment for slaying one who was close to her in blood. As a punishment for the slaying, it was judged that Heracles should be sold into slavery for three years. At the end of his three years' slavery, he could come back to Calydon and wed Dianyra. And so Heracles and Dianyra were parted. He was sold as a slave in Lydia. The one who bought him was a woman, a widow named Amphile. To her house Heracles went, carrying his armor and wearing his lion's skin. And Amphile laughed to see this tall man dressed in a lion's skin coming to her house to do a servant's tasks for her. She and all in her house kept up fun with Heracles. They would set him to do housework, to carry water, to set vessels on the tables, and clear the vessels away. Amphile set him to spin with a spindle as the women did, and often she would put on Heracles's lion's skin and go about dragging his club while he, dressed in a woman's garb, washed dishes and emptied pots. But he would lose patience with these servants' tasks, and then Amphile would let him go away and perform some great exploit. Often he went on long journeys and stayed away for long times. It was while he was in slavery to Amphile that he liberated Theseus from the dungeon in which he was held with Perithius, and it was while he still was in slavery that he made his journey to Troy. 
At Troy he helped to repair for King Laomedon the great walls that years before Apollo and Poseidon had built around the city. As a reward for this labor he was offered the princess Hesione in marriage. She was the daughter of King Laomedon and the sister of Priam, who was then called not Priam but Podarces. He helped to repair the wall, and two of the Argonauts were there to aid him. One was Peleus, and the other was Telamon. Peleus did not stay for long. Telamon stayed, and to reward Telamon, Heracles withdrew his own claim for the hand of the princess Hesione. It was not hard on Heracles to do this, for his thoughts were ever upon Dianyra. But Telamon rejoiced, for he loved Hesione greatly. On the day they married, Heracles showed the two an eagle in the sky. He said it was sent as an omen to them, an omen for their marriage. And in memory of that omen, Telamon named his son Aias, that is, eagle. Then the walls of Troy were repaired, and Heracles turned towards Lydia, Amphile's home. Not long would he have to serve Amphile now, for his three years' slavery was nearly over. Soon he would go back to Calydon and wed Dianyra. As he went along the road to Lydia, he thought of all the pleasantries that had been made in Amphile's house, and he laughed at the memory of them. Lydia was a friendly country, and even though he had been in slavery, Heracles had had his good times there. He was tired with the journey, and made sleepy with the heat of the sun, and when he came within sight of Amphile's house, he lay down by the side of the road, first taking off his armor, and laying aside his bow, his quiver, and his shield. He wakened up to see two men looking down upon him. He knew that these were the Cercopes, robbers who waylaid travelers upon this road. They were laughing as they looked down on him, and Heracles saw that they held his arms and his armor in their hands. They thought that this man, for all his tallness, would yield to them when he saw that they had his arms and his armor. But Heracles sprang up, and he caught one by the waist and the other by the neck, and he turned them upside down and tied them together by the heels. Now he held them securely, and he would take them to the town and give them over to those whom they had waylaid and robbed. He hung them by the heels across his shoulders and marched on. But the robbers, as they were being bumped along, began to relate pleasantries and mirthful tales to each other, and Heracles, listening, had to laugh. And one said to the other, O oh, my brother, we are in the position of the frogs when the mice fell upon them with such fury. And the other said, Indeed, nothing can save us if Zeus does not send an ally to us as he sent an ally to the frogs. And the first robber said, Who began that conflict, the frogs or the mice? And thereupon the second robber, his head reaching down to Heracles's waist, began. End of section 25